0: morning everyone and welcome to Julius Bear's Moving Markets podcast. It's Thursday the 4th of May and my name is Helen Freer. Coming up today I'll be talking about the Fed's latest rate decision with my colleague John T. Warris as he updates us on all the latest market news. Then Tim Gagey will give us his take on what the Fed's decision means for the dollar. And to finish up I'll be speaking to Ronnie Kaufman to get an update from our CIO office. So first up is John T. Good morning, John T. So the news the markets were waiting for was really the Fed's latest rate announcement. What can you tell us there?
1: Well, yes, Helen. Good morning. Uh, You said it. All eyes were on the Fed yesterday. In a unanimous vote, the members of the FOMC raised the benchmark rate by 25 basis points, as was widely expected, to a new target range of 5 to 5.25%. And there were hints that the Fed could pause any additional rate hikes at its next meeting. Fed Chair Jerome Powell's post-FOMC statement implied that it will be taking into account various factors in determining the extent to which additional policy firming may be appropriate. The FOMC is of course only too aware of the fact that inflation remains elevated and of the risks that this brings. Tighter credit conditions will naturally weigh on the economy and on prices. The Fed maintains its plan to shrink its balance sheet each month by as much as $60 billion for Treasuries and $35 billion for mortgage-backed securities. The federal funds rate has now, at long last, returned to the level it was at before the global financial crisis. And according to market consensus, this is expected to be the last hike now in this series, the steepest of its kind since the 1980s.
0: And how did the markets react?
1: Well, yeah, the two-year yield extended its decline to as low as 388 immediately after the Fed's announcement. Stocks reached a session high just prior to the decision, but then fell on the news. Markets, of course, weren't really surprised by this news as such. The Fed essentially hiked by a quarter point, and it isn't committing to any more tightening. So just as markets expected, really. FX traders had a rather dovish reaction to the news, and the Bloomberg dollar spot index fell by 0.6% just minutes after the decision, only then to recover, but falling again towards a close. I suppose the only surprise here is that the vote to raise rates was yet again unanimous.
0: And what else happened in markets yesterday? Can you give us the key points?
1: Sure. Well, US equities, as I mentioned, uh, finished generally lower, not far off their worst levels, sliding into the close after the FOMC remarks. The S&P 500 closed down 0.7%, with none of its 11 constituent sectors posting a positive result. Relative outperformers for the day were healthcare, telecoms and utilities, while financial and energy were among the laggards. And we generally saw small caps give up some of their earlier strength too. Banks were trading higher for much of the session, but then faded into the close following Powell's remarks. US treasuries are firmer with some curve steepening after a big rally on Tuesday. The yield on the two-year was around 383, and the yield on the 10-year around 335 when I checked a moment ago. Gold ended up 0.7%, and Bitcoin futures were down 1.5%. And oil's also having something of a rollercoaster ride, with WTI crude settling down a disappointing 4.3% yesterday. This comes on top of the slide of over 5% on Tuesday, and WTI crude closed yesterday back below $70 a barrel for the first time since the 24th of March. In corporate earnings, Qualcomm slid post-market on disappointing sales forecasts as phone demand remained sluggish, and Estee Lauder plunged a record 17% after cutting its forecast, which caught analysts off guard. NAB also fell after it missed profits.
0: And what about in Asia this morning? How are markets faring there?
1: Yes, Asian equities are trading mixed this Thursday morning. The Korean KOSPI, the ASX and the Shanghai Composite Indices are mildly in the red, off their lows. And the Hang Seng is outperforming this morning. WTI steadied after earlier slumping in a chaotic start to trading in Asia. And Australian bonds are trading higher, while treasuries didn't trade due to the Japan holiday.
0: And is there any other news to mention this morning?
1: Well, yes. The U- Ukrainian president Volodymyr Zelensky has denied the Kremlin's claim that drones from Kiev attempted to strike Moscow yesterday in an attempt to assassinate Vladimir Putin. In rather dubious language, Russia said that it has the right to respond after it forcibly downed two drones yesterday that it said were part of a planned terrorist act.
0: Okay. And lastly then, what can we expect today? What should we be looking out for?
1: Sure, well, the European Central Bank looks likely to approve a 25 basis point increase to its main policy rates today, with recent comments suggesting that support for a larger move has a narrow base. According to Bloomberg, a stabilisation in underlying inflation and signs that credit conditions are tightening have likely convinced the governing council that the time has finally come to step down from the previous 50 basis point hikes. And earnings season continues with companies reporting including Shell, BMW, Apple, Conoco, Philips, Expedia, and Booking Holdings.
0: Great. Thank you very much, John T, for the roundup. Now, Tim, good morning, first of all. Good morning, Helen. So, we've already heard a bit about the Fed last night. What's your take on it?
2: As we heard, uh, Powell hiked, as expected. And Powell was very measured in his words and did not give too much away, also as expected. Apparently, The market was looking for a reason to sell dollars. So we are faced with the dollar at its weakest level against the euro for quite some time, while US interest rates are at their highest level for 16 years. There was nothing to spook the market last night. We cannot really say Powell was dovish as such, but I think dollar bears should be fairly satisfied. I do also think this debt ceiling issue is having some influence, even though I am convinced it will be resolved at the last second as usual.
0: So from what you're saying, it sounds like you're expecting more dollar weakness from here. Would that be a fair comment?
2: Yes, it would be. We have been rather waiting uh, here for a corrective rebound in the dollar. And we felt that there was some nice profit-taking opportunity for dollar shorts without exiting short positions in the dollar entirely. However, so far, it is really not happening. And I think it is possible the weaker dollar trend simply continues on its way with Eurodollar towards one twelve to start with, Cable towards one twenty seven, And perhaps we actually do not really see a correction of any meaningful size in the dollar.
0: And of course, the Fed isn't the only central bank. We've got the ECB meeting happening today, which John already mentioned. What are you looking for there?
2: Well, a 25 basis point hike from the ECB is fully priced in, just as the Fed's hike was priced in yesterday. There is a small chance of a 50 basis point hike, although it would definitely be a surprise and the market is absolutely not positioned for such an outcome. I think if they do raise rates by 25 basis points, we could see a small pullback in dollar, but nothing meaningful. And the upward move should resume again. We will, as always, need to listen carefully to the message from Lagarde. And as Lagarde is really not the best communicator, in the world there is always the danger of a, a verbal slip but the ECB clearly have more to do and they have already been pretty clear on this point so I believe that post ECB uh, it's more or less going to be the same story of euro dollar generally heading higher.
0: Okay and has anything else caught your eye this week that you'd like to share?
2: Yeah I'd probably want to finish by mentioning two things. One is the Reserve Bank of Australia, who unexpectedly raised rates this week by 25 basis points, where virtually nothing was priced in. It's pretty interesting because we have this sense that central banks communicate very clearly and always tell us exactly what they're going to do. I believe they do that when it suits them. And you should never assume that what the central bank is saying and what a central bank is going to do are the same. And if anyone has any doubt about that, you just need to look back to the Swiss National Bank telling markets absolutely no way they will remove the floor. In, uh, at 120 in Euro-Swiss the day before, removing the floor in Euro-Swiss. I don't blame them. They had no choice. But central banks will do what suits them and nobody else. However, last week, I did mention the Australian dollar as a currency where we had a more positive view. And this was reinforced by the uh, move from the RBA this week. So far, The reaction in the currency has been pretty mild, and I think it's still a great level to take exposure, either just directly buying some Australian dollars or perhaps looking at a reverse convertible accumulator or TAF. Secondly, overnight, gold exploded up to the major resistance level of 2075, although it didn't spend very long there. I am still a bit sceptical about this strength, but to no one's great surprise, the market cares not at all, what I think, and if we manage to get above this major resistance, then a quick and painful move to 2,200 could follow. I would still be taking profits on long positions here, if you've been patient, probably rather through derivatives, again, reverse convertible, decumulator, bearish tarp, selling a call, something that either generates some premium or some yield or improves the entry point or the exit point rather. But I would absolutely not be short gold. The potential for serious pain is just too high. And on that note, thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Helen, as always, for the chat. And I wish you and our listeners an excellent day.
0: Great. Thank you very much, Tim. And last but not least, let me move over to you now, Ronnie. Great to have you here this morning as well. Um, There are still a lot of concerns about the US regional banking sector. Can you shed any light on this and how do you think this might affect the markets?
3: Good morning, Helen. Yes, sure. Happy to do so. Look, structurally speaking, the US banking sector as a whole is facing very adverse conditions these days. The classic maturity transformation business model for U.S. banks is completely dead when short-term rates are hovering north of 5% now, as the Fed went for its 10th consecutive rate increase just yesterday, and at the same time, long-term rates are sitting substantially lower. You know, this makes any new lending unprofitable. Admittedly, the post-pandemic strength of the U.S. private sector balance sheets has provided a valuable caution so far. U.S. households are still flush with cash as excess savings haven't been used entirely yet. However, there are justified concerns about whether the rollover of debt will be affected by a supply-driven credit crunch in the wake of the U.S. regional banking crisis. So the Investment Committee is monitoring the situation closely, but so far the evidence remains supportive of further strength in equity indices over the coming months in the absence of an external shock. And then more broadly, one of the big questions the investment committee asks itself is, can we have a bear market with the US in a recession as the rest of the world in a context of a completely desynchronized China is doing reasonably well? You know, an old saying goes that when the US sneezes, the rest of the world catches a cold. But is this still the case? Or can we envisage a US recession where the spillover effects to the whole system are still rather mild? Definitely some food for thought here.
0: And what are your thoughts on the S&P 500 then and how it might perform going forward in light of what you've just been saying?
3: See, we believe there is a very common misconception about the S&P 500 index and to some extent public equity markets in general. While the profitability and return metrics of the small cap universe have deteriorated dramatically over the past 20 years, The S&P 500 index has actually morphed from a cash raising to a cash returning mechanism. This can actually be seen by looking at the long-term trends of share buybacks, which are on the rise, and IPOs, which are at record lows with the exception of a good year in 2021. So the market leaders this year are the FANGs, as we know which are still formidable free cash flow generating machines, even more so now that they are increasingly getting their costs under control again. Just to give you a figure, for a company in the S&P 500 to qualify for the top quintile of free cash flow margins, by now you need a free cash flow margin of more than 20%. Whereas before 2000, a single digit margin was already doing the trick. What's more, it turns out that the S&P 500 is actually quite insensitive to rising interest rates with an average debt maturity of seven years. So it is fair to assume that the tightening probably won't start to bite seriously until the end of this decade. Actually, you know, you could even go as far as to say the S&P 500 is probably among the most resilient segments of the market in a recession scenario Well, it might go down as well, obviously, but certainly to a lesser extent than everything that is dependent on leverage and access to external financing. You know, in general, public companies will arguably be the last ones to lose funding access. So don't short the S&P 500 as you would be shorting a cash returning machine.
0: And has the Investment Committee decided to make any changes to the asset allocation?
3: Yes, indeed. The investment committee decided to moderately reduce the equity exposure by selling Canadian equities for portfolio construction reasons, and reallocating proceeds to cash. This step leads to a decrease in the portfolio's exposure to the value investment style, which is strongly represented in Canadian equities. Just for the record, the index is heavily tilted towards both financials and commodities. So with this step, Our equity weighting is newly in line with our long term strategic equity weighting. So we are not turning massively bearish at this stage, but simply take profits. The increased cash weighting also brings us in a better position to maneuver if and when opportunities arise. And with that, back to you, Helen.
0: Great. Thanks very much, Ronnie. So that is all for today. Thanks again to all of the speakers on today's show. And thank you all for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, please leave us a review on whichever platform you like to listen on. We would love to hear your feedback. And do join us again tomorrow when I'll be back with more of my colleagues, including Norbert Rooker, who will give us his latest thoughts on oil. But until then, have a great day, everyone, and bye for now.
2: The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliasbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal information.
1: Business Leaders is a monthly podcast where we talk to entrepreneurs across the globe. We delve into the details of how they started their careers their journeys and building businesses and hear about some of the challenges that they faced along the way search for business leaders on your favorite podcast player